All right. God is good, people. And all the time, God is good. So good to be in the house together. We're getting in the Word. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to read from today. And we're going to begin a new series called Next. Here's, here's, here's the fact. Easter is one of the highest attended, in fact, the highest attended service all across America. Fact. The Sunday after Easter normally is the least attended service in all America. Now, I'm glad, I can gladly say just by looking that it's not the least so far this year. And let's keep it that way. Come on, amen. That's good. Because the resurrection happened. And it's a glorious thing. And we ought to celebrate the resurrection Sunday. We ought to celebrate what Jesus did. But you know what? It wasn't the end in all. It was the beginning of a new chapter. You see, life continued. Church continued. In fact, the church was formed after the resurrection. See, Jesus said, I will build my church. Okay? So he's talking about something he would do in the future. When he talked to Peter, that was before the resurrection, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When did he build his church? After the resurrection. So today we're going to start a new series called Next. Come on, say next with me. And it's taking what actually happened after Jesus was resurrected and how the church began and how the story continues. Got to tell you this. The book of Acts, Luke writes the book of Acts and he gives an account of the initial days and how the church began to grow. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Actually, no. Is that that story never ended. You see, many books, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they actually have a definitive ending to it. You'll find like, whether it's John, when he's finishing his book, he'll write and say, well, and God bless you. Some, some definitive way to finish a letter, you know? And God bless you, amen, whatever. Each one of the gospel writers finished the book. But the, books of, the book of Acts never stops. It actually, if you go to the last uh, verse of the book of Acts, ca- can we read the last verse of the book of Acts? It's Acts 28. Got Acts 28. I don't have it up there, so if you have your Bible, pull it up on your smartphone or or open the good old pages. Let me read for you before we start as a setup of how this book ends. Verse 28 and 29. Oh, no, I take take that back. Verse 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all that came to him, preaching the kingdom of God. And teaching the things which concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, uh, with oh come on, okay, with with all confidence, no one forbidding him. No, amen. No, nothing. Why? Because we are living in the continuation of the story. So when we get to because the people that we read about here, they didn't know that their life was being recorded. You realize that they were just going to church. They were just. Uh, reaching the lost. They were just going where Jesus said to go. And God was using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's what's so unique about the book of Acts. What's so unique about what happened next? Because up until that point, in the Old Testament, 
There was always some prolific prophet that got used for a season and a time that brought the message uh, to people. And people would receive and they knew that that's a prophet and that's a messenger from God and whatnot. You know, time of the John the Baptist. They knew that he had an anointing in his life. But until that point, after the resurrection, God used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. See, Jesus' disciples were not prophets or anything. They were average Joes, people of different professionals. You had Luke, who was a doctor. You had Peter, who was a fisherman. You had some tax collectors. They worked for the IRS. And so you had all sorts of professions, and all of them blended together. None of them professional ministers. And God used them mightily. Now, people in the church, just neighbors and people in the community, as God, and we'll, we'll take the story, and it's absolutely amazing, because in it is your story and is my story. That if we are to believe God at His word, it is, there, are, there are no limits as to what God can do through people who believe His word and believe upon His promise. And so I'm trying to set up this um, um, uh, series. I, I want to encourage you to kind of dive in because I can't give it all today. My heart is so full. I'm excited to share. But maybe I should get together and kind of calm down. Say, Pastor Solo, calm down. Calm down. And so we can start. We can just start a little bit and we'll get there sometime, can we? All right. So Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's going to be great. I believe your life will be changed. You will be empowered and you will have confidence in who you are, and who God's called you to be, and, and there's nothing more powerful than that. Because when people begin to know who they are, when believers actually realize their identity, and they become secure in who they are, no matter what happens around, the world will be changed upside down. Lincoln will be called the city of our God. If all the people in this room begin to believe God at His word, because God is about to do something supernatural. I'm such a believer that even when things get really bad, that ultimately things will get stronger and better for the kingdom of God. Because the Lord says that the latter rain shall be greater than the former rain. He does say, and I prayed this way this morning, that, he, that he will, in the last days he will pour out his spirit. Now we see things happening in our world that are kind of scary. Sometimes you feel like things are out of control and you're wondering where is it going to get? Well, we should not be surprised at all because the scripture already tells us that all these things will happen. But it says when we see all that, we still should look up. Not look to Washington, not look to Lincoln, not look to your academic institution, not look to your money, not look at Wall Street. No, you look up. When you see all these things happen, Look up. You keep your focus up and up and up. So, I'm talking to the church of Jesus this morning. I'm speaking to the most powerful um, um, uh, institution that the world has ever seen. I'm speaking to something that is eternal. That Jesus himself said by his word that what I'm building, what I'm building, not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. Amen? Acts chapter 1. I said that like that's the fifth time if you're counting. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus always spoke about the kingdom of God. He spoke about the kingdom of God in the gospel. He taught them a lot of things about the kingdom. And he'll say, hey, let me tell you what the kingdom is like. And he'll have different parables to help people connect and to relate what the kingdom was like. He was giving them hope for the future. And that's our first title today. Hope Alive. Say that with me. Hope Alive. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, verse 4, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now think about this. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom. They are thinking about the kingdom. They are both kingdom-minded. Jesus was kingdom-minded. The disciples were kingdom-minded as well. But they were thinking about another kingdom. They were thinking about the earthly kingdom. Because at this time, they were living uh, during the height of the Roman Empire. Where the Roman Empire was so powerful that any place that they could reach, they would take over. And so they were under oppression. In fact, some of Jesus' disciples were patriots that wanted to fight the Roman Empire. And so when they thought Jesus is bringing the kingdom back, they were thinking, hey, you're going to restore back power back to the people. And these op- uh, foreign oppressors that have taken our land and take our money, and uh, you're going to free us. So th- that's what the, their aspiration was so small compared to what God had in mind. Now, they weren't any different than we are. Sometimes... We think too little of ourselves. What we think of ourselves and what God has for us, oh my goodness. His plans, the Bible says, for those who love him, that no eye has seen, no ear has had, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the plans that God has for those that love him. How many people love the Lord? You've never even thought. It's never even crossed your mind. You've never been able to dream big enough to get as midget of what God has in plan or in store for you. They're thinking, God, give us kingdom here. Because we, we here's the thing. Some of the time when they were with Jesus, they were asking God, so, so, so when, when you finally give us the kingdom, you know, who's going who's gonna to be the best? Uh, who's going to sit next to you? That's, but they were thinking this little. And God had a much greater much greater plan that they had never even thought about. His dream for them was so big, it would blow their mind if they would begin to thinking. That's the same way with us. Quit dreaming small. Quit thinking so little of yourself. You are a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of the Most High King, Muhammad, and he has a future for you. And this world is just not your home. He's got a greater plan for you. Verse 7, so he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, just trust God. His timing is perfect. He's never early, he's never late, he's always in time. He works on time. He works on a different time scale than we do. You see, our time is limited 
by, by our understanding of the solar system. Because we think of our time based on how many times we go around the sun. It's called Kronos. It's a chronological clock that kind of ticks. Never waits for you. Keeps going. And when we think of time, we think of time in, the, in that terms. But God, when he says time, he thinks of something totally different. The Bible calls it kairos. It's, a, it's, a, it's the right timing. It's always his time. You know, because he doesn't live in the solar system. And it's a divine encounter. It's a divine upon a time. And he says that I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will always be with you wherever you go. Sometimes you don't even know the words to speak when you're confronted. I will put words in your mouth. He says, I will provide for you. Even in the middle of the desert, God will do things for you that uh, you would never, never even have guessed or begun to imagine or plan. He will make ways for you. Places where there were no ways. It's, yes, it's a reality. There is no way. Ask the Israelites who got to the Red Sea. They got up there. There was no way. Absolutely. The one lying, the one kidding. There was no way. But God created a way for them where there was no way. He's the same God who says his promises are yes and amen. I'm getting ahead of myself. He will create a way for you when you trust in him where there is no way. He says, chill out. It's not for you to know the times that God has set and ordained in his own authority. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And I got a mission for you because you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be the people that are going to stand up for me. You're going to be the people that are going to tell people about me. I got an assignment for you. And your influence will go to Jerusalem, which was where they lived. In Judea, the neighboring areas, Samaria brought a scope to the ends of the earth. You'll be able to tell people about the resurrection. You'll be able to tell the gospel to people. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope. It's the hope of our all. I tell you, there is no other hope but the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not a savvy people. It's not the most educated society. It's not the most powerful nation. It's none of that. The hope of the world is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The hope of the world is the gospel. And you and I have the gospel. We have the most powerful thing that can change the world completely. These guys had not been exposed to much more than their 30 miles of where they lived. And in less than a hundred years, the entire world had had the gospel. They had moved in places. How in the world did they do this? They weren't the most influential people. They lived in an oppressive generation under the Roman oppression. They weren't the most popular, the most influential people in the world. But yet, the power of the gospel in their lives was able to transform the world. And even years later, that same Roman government would actually become such a big vehicle in advancing Christianity. Who can do that? God. What was meant to destroy you, God can turn it around and make it out for your gun. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 10. 
They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white. Isn't that funny? Are you the only one that saw this? He didn't say white robes. It could have been white jeans. It could have been white, you know. Why do we always think it's always robes? They could have been cool-looking guys dressed in white. That's just where my brain goes, yeah? Standing beside him, he said, Man of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. I got news for you. He's coming back, people. Oh, come on. He's coming back. The king is coming back. Things might get crazy around you. It might look like the world has completely rejected God. It might look like there is no hope, there is no effort that would mean anything. What is my good deeds going to do? What is my little teeny bit effort going to do to change the world? It might look very hopeless, but it says that the same Jesus that you saw will come back again. And that is a hope that we have as believers because we have been privileged to know the end of the story before the beginning. And so we are looking, we are going backwards, knowing how this thing is going to end. That's why when things happen, we don't need to freak out. It actually, uh, when, uh, when believers freak out, it makes me freak out. Because we should not be surprised. If we're in the world, you will realize that you don't have to be surprised at anything that's happening in our world. Some of them are so, so, some scriptures you're like, wow, how'd they know this? Well, because the same spirit that was in them is also in us. So if you keep listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you get yourself in God's word and not mean singing, just getting in the word and knowing what God, you can be calm in the middle of the storm. It might be looking like everything is going to fall down, but you're still peaceful. You might not even win in the way you define win, but still you know you are a champion. Why? Because it's, God's plan is much greater than the here and now. Okay? So, I, 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 I have to imagine, and here's where my mind goes. So, I can imagine being the disciples. So, they've walked with Jesus all these years. Three and a half years, Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. He says he's confirming uh, his words with signs and wonders. He's healing the sick cleansing the lepers, doing all sorts of miracles, uh, raising people from the dead. Um, uh, when it comes to debate and uh, arguments, uh, they get the smartest people to him and they try to trip him up, pose him questions that don't have a yes and no answer. So that they and, and he outwitted all the smart people of his time. And they're so used to this lifestyle that, hey, he's got our back. Get in trouble, Jesus is around. I got hungry. What are we going to do with all these people? We don't have any food. We want to send them home. Ah, let me get, who's got some food? Oh, a little boy's got some five loaves, two fish. Give thanks. and says, I'll oh, feed 5,000 people and more. And says, bring the leftovers. It's showing off, yeah? He's doing it in style. The storm's coming of life. He's just chilling, relaxing. He speaks to the storm. Who does that? I guess there's a movie, a kid's movie we watch that someone does speak to the ocean. But he says, hey, 
wind chill. Jesus is talking here. And then things turn. And they see Jesus being dragged, being spitted upon, tormented, called names, brutally murdered, and he seems so hopeless that even his best friends, like Peter, would actually deny that he even knew who Jesus was. And there are times we find ourselves in similar pressures where being a witness for Jesus is not the social cool thing to do or in that particular situation. And you just kind of want the thing to end so that you could go in and be with Jesus again. And we can't stand up for him. Things got really bad for them. They were huddled together because now they are afraid for their lives. If they were able to do that to Jesus, who was pretty much everything, how about me and nobody? I can't imagine what was going through their, their minds, you know? And then Jesus will show up in this spectacular display. He would rise from the dead and he will show up. In fact, it says one of the places in John chapter 20, if you read immediately after the resurrection, uh, the disciples are, are in one room. It says that the doors were locked. Who knows? Probably afraid for their lives. And he showed up because, guys, the chief is back in town. And they are like, wow. Wow. They're absolutely amazed. Now, once they were so hopeless, they went to be the most optimistic people before. They used to be like, some of their conversations around the game was like, hey, I think I'm going to sit to the seat. When we get to the kingdom, I'm going to sit next to Jesus. And, then, and I'll have those debates and they'll say, Jesus, we've got to ask you a question here. You know, we're kind of really humble believers here though, but... Um, just really, really, Jesus, really, really. You know, when, when you restore the kingdom, you know, who's going to sit next to you? No, we, we're humble. We don't really. It's, it's not for me. I'm asking for the other guy out there, you know. They're very hopeful. And then their dreams were shattered. All of a sudden, again, bam! This wasn't a joke. This is absolutely awesome. They're hopeful again, you know. Jesus is saying about, he's teaching about the kingdom. And they say, God, yeah. So Lord, give us the timing. Is it October 24th, 2017? Or when do I get to pay off my mortgage? Give me something here, Jesus. I'm going to put it on the calendar so I can be sure to be there. So now there's another hope. And it just says, hey, listen. I've got to tell you. I'm leaving. I'm going. I'm not going to be here with you anymore. Do you think they were excited about that news? Absolutely not. Because now, this roller coaster of emotions. But yet, it was better for them, it was better for you and me that he left. He had a bigger plan than they had even for themselves. And I think even in that snapshot, it's really a story of our lives many times because sometimes you, you feel like you just accomplished some victory and you're now like, life is so good. God is good all the time. It's so, so good. I'm so blessed. And then bang, something hits you thinking, what's going on now? Then you get another victory. You're so glory. Hallelujah. You're just a faith. 
something else happen. You know, life goes like that, doesn't it? But these guys, as they went through those emotions, we learn a few things that we need in our lives. One of the things that we can never, never, never let go of is a thing called hope. And Jesus, even as he sat with them, he gave them hope. He says, I'm leaving, but that's not the end of the story. He gave them something to look forward to. They're saying, at what time? He says, hey, listen, you shall receive power. Don't wait. Wait. Do not leave Jerusalem until you've received the promise. Do you think all of them waited? I don't think so. I don't think they all waited. I think there's some that kind of waited a little bit. And I, I don't know what this is because it's something that had never happened before. But some did wait. And they kept hope alive. They said, you shall receive power. They had no idea what that looked like. See, hope is the beginning, just a seed of hope is the beginning of every good thing in life. It's a bath, it's what baths that overcoming spirit in you. You have to be resilient. When you lose hope, you're pretty much lost. Because things can be, get really bad, but if we have a hopeful heart, you can keep on fighting, even the toughest battles. And what keeps a fight, what keeps a fire inside is that uh, believe that I haven't seen my better days yet. That believe that greater, my better days are yet to come. That's something, that, and for a believer, is different. It's not just wishful thinking or just an imagination. No, we hope because of what God has promised. We hope on the word of God. So Jesus says, wait. He gives them instructions. He says, wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem until you receive what? The promise. So I want to kind of give you three thoughts to kind of uh, land this plane here. To, to, to think about this week as we continue in this series. The reason we keep hope is because God has promised so much. God promised to them. Verse 4 says, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the Father, my Father, for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. See, God has promises. So many promises for those that love Him in this book. He has promises concerning our families, concerning our jobs. Our future, our children, our finances, our health. He has promises that we can lean upon. We just don't lean on, just it's not wishful thinking, it's hanging on to what God said. Who said do not, do not leave Jerusalem? Jesus did. Who said, but, but, what are you going to wait upon? God's promise, the promise the Father had given. Second Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. I hear some of you might know it. It says that all the promises of God are yes and amen. So we can wait. We can keep hope. 
Because God's already promised so much to us. He's promised um, um, that he understands. You know, so, you know, anybody can give you a promise or an empty promise, but, but God can substantiate the promise by accompanying his word because he puts his name on it. He says, I understand. Even before you were created, uh, you were formed in your mother's womb, I had a plan for you. I know the thoughts that I have concerning you, uh, Jeremiah says. Thoughts to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future, and to give you a hope, Jeremiah 29, 11. We keep hope alive by the standing on God's promises. The other thing it takes is number two, is patience. Same verse, verse 4. On one occasion, when they were eating with them, when he was eating with them, he gave him this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Do not leave Jerusalem, but what? Oh, come on, but what? <laughs> You're waiting for me to talk, right? You don't like waiting. Give it to me now. Horrible. Huh. You got McDonald's in these two cars in front of you. Some of you are so bad that you honk all the time. It's like, hey, why is it taking so long? Two minutes more. In two minutes, you'll get your hamburger, sir. You know, what's always, this, is a, this is always drives me nuts in, uh, in the lights. So you're like, you're, you're at the red light. Well, well, you're following this person, right? It's like 45. Speed limit. They're going like 25, right? Uh, maybe like 43. Like, but you feel like they're going 25. You say, well, okay. It's all right. We'll get there anyway. And then you get at the red light. It's not orange. It's red. And they speed up and they pass it. If we're in such a hurry... Do you guys see people like that? Or am I the only one that ran into these people in Lincoln? Or was that you? <laughs> Psychological, you know, they save like three seconds because they go up at the, the train is up there and you're like, hey, hey, I'm still here. You know, why'd you skip the red light? Did you save that much time? You know, we do not like to wait. But waiting is not that bad after all. It's amazing how many times in the scripture the word says that we should wait. I can start quoting a bunch of Bible verses here. That those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You want your strength renewed, you you, you need to learn how to wait on the Lord. David talks about a time where he's really having a hard time and he's uh, really wanting to give up but he goes oh i will wait on the lord wait patiently for the lord for he will strengthen your heart psalm 37 34 wait for the lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off you will see it psalm 27 14 wait on the lord be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart wait i say on the Lord. Huh. It's like, well, you know, we live in the ATM time, fast food driving. If the internet is just a little slower, wow, well, my goodness, 
I can get on my Facebook now. You know, I can get on my... We're used to so many conveniences. And the world is always at a very high pace. And uh, we don't know how to really quiet. We don't know how to, 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 to shut it off. We don't know how to, to, to just relax. People don't know even how to just... I, did I say relax? Yeah. I meant that. We need something to stimulate us. Dinner table. <laughs> A church. Some of you, you know you checked your status before. When pastor said, wait. And he paused five seconds intentionally because he wanted people to wait. You posted something on Facebook. God help you repent. But we don't have that patience. But there's a spiritual, it's a spiritual virtue. And God uses that. Because Jesus had the capacity, he had the power, he had the authority to do what he wanted to do when he was with them. He says he hang out with them 40 days and giving them a lot of proof um, uh, that he existed. But he says he also taught them the kingdom of God because in the time of waiting, God teaches us things that we would have never otherwise learned had we not waited. So he said for 40 days, he hang around with them. He teaching them the kingdom of God because now he's wanting to change their mindset because they thought this little, they only thought of the kingdom of this world. And God says, I'm going to give you some eternal perspective and the game that you are a part of is so much bigger than what you realize. So he, he took time to teach him. Sometimes God takes time and he wants you to wait because God wants to teach you something. God wants to, it's not so much about what he gives you, but who you become. God is working things in you that you would have never gotten in on the run. And so that when you are given the things that you are given, you have the character, you have the stamina, you have the strength to recognize others. You don't live for me, 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 and me. God can use you. He can use you greatly, not just for you, to be a blessing to others. I know we all want to get blessed. And Jesus did tell us this. He says, hey, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you would wear. He says, for these things, the Gentiles, they are obsessed about this stuff. But you are different. You're not like the people of the world. And, and he goes, don't get me wrong here, Jesus is saying. God knows that you need these things. So he's not saying that don't dismiss. He knows you need a good retirement because you are not going to be just an energizer body and be able to continue to work, work, work. Well, there's a time you can't work like you did when you were 21. God knows that. He says, your father already knows that you need these things. What I'm trying to do for you, I want you to change your priorities again. Don't chase after these things. You put first the kingdom of God. You live a righteous life and these things will be following you. He said that you will not be denied these things. No, he didn't say that. Just don't chase things. Things will chase you when you're busy doing God's work. 
when you keep your priorities right and keep on doing the right things. That's always live righteously. Just so you know the kingdom of God, don't live stupidly, he says. Live righteously and all these things will be added to you. Patience. God uses that to build us. How many times have you ever had something in your life where you wanted it so bad and it will not come to you? Maybe it's a job, a promotion you feel like you're getting passed on. And you keep waiting for it. You keep applying and it never comes. And then years down the road you're thinking, well, I'm sure glad I never took that job. I'm sure glad that didn't happen. I'm sure glad I didn't end up with that guy or that girl. It's like, whoa, 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 God, you helped me dodge a bullet. That's what my life would have been like. You know, you could. You... But at the moment, it felt like God, you know, I've been so good. I've been trying to be a good Christian here. How come it's happening for them and not for me? And we feel. You look down the road, you're like, wow, thank God it didn't work. How many know what I'm talking about? So we can have confidence in God knowing that his plans for our lives are good. He has good plans for you and me. And so we can wait. And lastly, I will not talk about it this week. I'll talk about it next week. I'm teaching you that lesson to wait. Wait. How many are going to be here next week? Oh, man, there's a lot. And God's going to bless your socks off. He's got great plans for you. I believe that this is a year where some people, it'll be a defining year where something is going to turn. There'll be a shifting. There'll be a blessing. You keep faithful in the Lord. His plans for you. Keep your hope in the Lord. Keep hope alive every single time. We keep hope alive because His promises are yes and amen. His promises are true and we are part of what God is building. Amen? Amen. Did you receive something from God this morning? Amen. Come on, stand with me. Come on, let's, let's praise Him together. Come on, you can stand and continue to praise the Lord. Amen? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I want us to pray.